Him, and we're just so thankful uh, that we have a Savior, that we have a Lord Jesus Christ who loves us so very much. And uh, what, a, what a blessing it is to be a part of God's kingdom work. You know, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, um, talking about overcoming evil with good. And um, I know this is uh, going to hit close to home. And so uh, I'm going to tell you right now that uh, I, I love you too much not to tell you this. Okay? The reason I'm sharing this with you is because I love you. And I want us to be all that we can possibly be for His kingdom. And I know that uh, we don't always like when things are pointed out in our life, but um, I don't either. And um, so, you know, it, the, the message comes through the messenger. And, and as I, I pray and, and deal with the Lord over it, uh, He transforms my life as well. So I, I encourage you to stick with me um, this morning. You know, one element... One element of the, the great American philosophy of life is that we all have certain inalienable rights. That these rights are very important to us, and we're big on rights. I mean, in, in fact, maybe in our society, we've never been bigger on rights than we are today, in this time. We're hyper conscious about our rights. We've had all sorts of movements in regard to our rights, and in fact, it's not uncommon for us to hear somebody say, you'll never get away with that, you can't do that to me, I'll get even. We don't want anybody stepping on any of our rights. See, we are living in uncertain days in which tried and true principles, which have permeated our society, are being questioned, and they're actually being discarded. And this is troubling. See, a great deal of aggravation that exists in our society is the result of abandonment of these basic principles that come from biblical teaching. We've gotten away from God's Word. And so now we find ourselves in trouble. See, we come to this passage this morning and it's a very, very potent passage but it's a passage that is often misunderstood. And hopefully today in our time together, God will shed some light on it for us. See, this passage is a source of some very well-known sayings that maybe you have used and, and, and I've probably used them. But sometimes people don't understand exactly what they're saying. They've just heard it. Sayings like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sayings like, turn the other cheek, give him your coat too, go the second mile, give to someone who asks. All of those are things that we've heard and we, we implement and we use those, but sometimes we may not be using them properly. So this morning, I want to I read this scripture. It's in Matthew 5, verse 38 and following. And Jesus said this as he, as he preached this sermon. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for teaching it, but also making sure that we have it today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher and our guide. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would examine our hearts. Father, before you, everything is laid bare. Nothing is hidden. So, Father, as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, I pray that you would show us the truth of who we are. And where we are. Father we love you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. See deep down in the human heart. Way deep down in there is this retaliatory um, vengeful and, and spiteful spirit. And part of the curse of sin. And, 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 it, and it's there. It's in our heart. It's in all of us. And it comes out in the strangest of ways. I, I always remember that story of the bride and groom, which was back in the buggy days, you know, when they rode horse and buggy, and, and uh, they took off on their honeymoon right after they were married, and, and, and the horse took off, and, and uh, the, the driver, the, bride, the groom, was upset about it, and so he, he, he stopped, and he said, that's one, and then the horse bolted again, and, and he stopped the horse again, and he said, that's two, and a third time, the horse bolted. And when he bolted the third time, he stopped the horse and he pulled out his gun and his rifle and he shot the horse dead. And the, the bride, she said, hey, you can't do that. What are you doing? And he looked at her and he said, that's one. You know, about the time we figure out what the, our little world is all about, something comes along and it turns our world upside down. And really, that's what Jesus is doing here with, with this passage of Scripture. His teaching is like that. The people that Jesus ministered to had a lot of ideas of what they thought about God and, and what God was like. But Jesus' teaching was wonderful in that it continued to take their preoccupations of God, their preconceptions of God, and he turned them right side up. So what appeared to them to be upside down is now set right. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. See, John R.W. Stott, he wrote a stimulating book on the Sermon on the Mount. And he titled it Christian Counterculture. The message of the Sermon on the Mount. And his thesis in the book was that the followers of Christ have value systems. They have ethical standards. They have devotion and they have relationships that are totally at odds with people who don't know Jesus who live in our world. The value systems, the ethical standards, the devotion and the relationships that we have are totally different from the ones that the world has. I think that's, that's huge because as believers, we live out of the rule of the kingdom of God and that goes against our culture, our society. Now, maybe no more contrasting lifestyle occurs for the Christian and for the secular society than in the area of how to handle evil that is done to a believer. <laughs> you don't like it when people cross you. 
We don't like it when somebody mistreats us. We don't like it when we're looked over or treated as a nobody or a nothing. We don't want anybody stepping on our rights. You see, the laws of the Old Testament, they had rules about retaliation. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus drives home the point as he says, but I say to you, but I'm telling you something different. You've heard it said, you were taught, when you went to the synagogue, you were taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, So he's making a point that something is different and something he's contrasting something here from from how we respond as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to how the rest of the world responds. I mean, he used four word pictures. That of a personal assault, a lawsuit, an official demand, and a request for help. And all of these illustrations they teach that the basic way to overcome evil is with good how to treat evil treat it with goodness you see the original intent of the mosaic law the mosaic legislation in leviticus 24 is what we call lex talionis lex talionis and it's the law of the talon the law of the claw if you will but it's not a law promoting personal revenge. Most of the time we think of it that way. And we've twisted it and we've perverted it because we want to think of it as, well, if somebody has done something to you, well, an eye for an eye. Take back what's yours. Make it happen. If they hurt you in some way, you hurt them back in the same way. But that is not what that law means. What that law means is equal justice for the crime. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. See, it's the oldest law in the world and we found it in the Code of Hammurabi. And sometimes it's called the tit for tat or sometimes it's called quid pro quo. And it means equal punishment for the crime. In other words, bound up in the human heart is a sense of justice. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. But the problem is this sense of justice gets perverted into vengeance. We want payback. See, but the problem is, is it was intended, this, this, this law was intended to do several things. But at first, it first of all was designed to discourage people from seeking personal revenge. You can't take it any further than than what was, what was dealt to you. See, the law of Moses was designed to prevent personal revenge from taking over. See, in the ancient Near East, in Israel, they had families there, and just like today, blood feuds uh, were very typical. Families might fall out with one another or run across some, some, one another in some way, and, and even generations later, they're still fighting. They don't even know what for. Kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys. One of those kind of deals where they, they've got bad blood, if you will, between us. 
And so we want to settle the score. And these types of blood feuds existed and they continued to perpetuate themselves. And the law of Moses was designed to keep that from happening. For example, in the law of Moses, he makes a provision for cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. I mean, what if you accidentally were involved in, you know, the manslaughter of one of these people, family that you oppose, their, their son in some way? Maybe he died in some way. Maybe it was a, a, a cart with a, a wheel accident and he, he ended up dying. But because you are who you are, then, then this thing is going to get elevated. And, and, and they, what I mean is they're going to seek revenge. They're coming after you. Moses set up these cities of, of refuge so they could run to these cities and, and they were safe in those cities of refuge and no revenge could be taken upon them. See, the law of the talon, the law of the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was designed just like the law of the city of refuge to undercut the practice of personal revenge. But most of the time when you hear an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you don't think of that. You think about revenge. Well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do this back to them. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But understand, however, that the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were violating this law, the spirit of the law, by encouraging people to nurse grudges. By actually encouraging them to seek personal revenge for the things that had been done to them. And it became a license for vengeance. It had become a basis for vendettas. It had become sort of a biblical permission to nurse a grudge. <laughs> oh, that's all we need is biblical backup, right? I mean, to nurse a grudge, to say, well, they did this to me. See, because the normal desire for justice is perverted into vengeance and retaliation. I mean, that's why we go to war over things. It just keeps escalating. And so pretty soon it's so far beyond. And so in our society, everybody fights for their rights. Everybody wants their rights. And so we're big on rights. And, 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 and because of that, we're just... Basically, we're taking the law and we're setting it aside because it's more about me than it is about us. This is going on in our society. We're big about rights. We have a vengeful society when they don't get their rights. <laughs> you step on my rights, I'm going to make you pay. Happens every day. But you know what? It's kind of like a parent. Saying, you know, it's just easier to give my kid what he wants than to discipline him. Folks, this is where we find ourselves. This is the society that we live in today. Where people are setting aside the law in favor of their own rights. So that they can be lifted up. And basically, that's what our society is saying. We don't want the discipline We'd rather just give them what they want so that we don't have to practice discipline. You know it and I know it. We see it every day. And we live in this vengeful society because they're not disciplined. 
Because we're not disciplined. And Jesus calls us as his followers to willingly set aside our claims of our personal rights. Are we disciples? Are we doing what he's asking us to do? Because he says, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. See, our suffering society gets everything twisted. We talk about rights so much that today it seems like criminals have more rights than honest people. Our suffering society, overrun with crime and violence, would do well to re-examine the Old Testament, God's Word, and figure out how to live according to that. Because we've perverted the justice. See, I believe that the pulpit, the pulpit has to be the place where this becomes restored. We have to preach that God has a just character, a righteous character. That it's the character of God, that that, that is in the heart of God, is for justice and righteousness. And we have to enact a, 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 a just, lawful discipline in the church. We have to preach an eternal punishment in hell. Folks, it's biblical. It's more real than us sitting in this place. Why? So that the world knows there is a right and a wrong, and there is reward and there is consequence. And I believe that when the pulpit became watered down, when it became wishy-washy, and when the pulpit stopped preaching the character of God, and when the pulpit stopped preaching hell and eternal punishment, the church stopped disciplining sin, that society, our society, jumped headfirst into the sewer. See, evil people insult Christian dignity. Jesus' first illustration here is being hit on the cheek. Jesus could have paused after that statement, you know. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek. I bet every person there probably would have thought what should have been done about this insulting action. I mean, almost every person could think of creative ways for revenge. When we're sitting there, we're thinking about it. It's like, man, what would I do if somebody did that to me? See, in Jesus' day, getting struck on the, the right cheek meant that someone was backhanding them as an insult. Um, I need a volunteer. We're going to demonstrate this this morning. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't need a demonstration of that. The, um, I just thought that would be funny. Who wants to demonstrate? That's right, that's right. This verse doesn't mean don't defend yourself. It doesn't mean don't, uh, to ask for another hit. Both Jesus and Paul literally were struck on the cheek and both of them appealed to their rights. But notice something. Neither one of them hit back. Neither one of them hit back. And that's the force of this verse. If you are struck, if you are insulted... Don't fight back. 
Don't retaliate. Don't eat. Don't try to get even. Let it go and forgive. And when he says turn the other cheek, the Greek verb here implied slapping someone in the face as an insult more than enduring physical violence. We need to understand this. His point was that it would be better to endure being insulted twice than to escalate the violence. Now folks, this is going to be helpful in offering a word of counsel to people who are in abusive relationships. Women who are being physically abused shouldn't interpret this verse to mean that they have to stay and take it. See, when someone hurts us, our natural tendency is to pay back. We want to hurt them like they hurt us. We talk about getting even and settling the score. And the idea is that they hurt us. Now we owe them some hurt in return. And that's one debt we're all too glad to settle. In fact, we talk about getting even, but usually it's not enough to get even. We want to up the ante a little bit. They might have done this to me, but I'm going to do this back to them and then I'm going to raise it a little bit so they won't do it again. And so it escalates and it continues to escalate the violence. Jesus' reaction to insult must have surprised his hearers because he said, turn to him the other cheek also. I mean, if a Christian, if a believer hits back, who benefits? Nobody. Nobody. Returning insult for insult just breeds more ill will and bitterness. But notice also Jesus talks about the fact that evil people also interfere with a Christian's security. The second illustration here talks about from, comes out of the court of law. And an opponent is sued for the recovery of a shirt. And under Jewish law, a creditor could, within proper bounds, seize someone's shirt pending the settlement of their claim. But if the creditor sees the coat, the loose mantle that poor people used as a blanket on cold nights, then he had to at least return that by nightfall. <laughs> Jesus presented a case that would arouse resentment for justice was being executed under the cover of law. Jesus' words, let him have your coat also, clearly seem to, to have meant that if his followers suffered any kind of injustice, any kind of injustice, the best part of wisdom was to leave that person for God to deal with. Let God deal with it. See, an evil, evil people also infringe on a Christian's time. The third illustration came from a Roman custom of forcing strangers to carry a Roman official's baggage. And people often infringe on the Christian's time. I mean, the response to such a demand could be resistance. Now, we're not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Jesus told his followers how to respond to this type of infringement. He said, go with them two miles. Go the second mile. I think that's big stuff. Because that first mile answers the demands of Caesar. But the second mile, that shows the kindness of God. Evil people also insult 
excuse me, impose on the Christian's generosity. Jesus' last illustration here comes to the beggar's request uh, for help. And the picture is of a person in real need. It's a picture of a person in real need. And Christians, we should help people in need. But I want to say not at the expense of our own families or ourselves or beggars. Here's what I mean by that. Indiscriminate giving often leads to demoralization. When we give to somebody and we don't even know them, when we give and it's out of relationship, we do more harm than good. How do we help without hurting? How do we help without enabling? You see, I believe this with all my heart. Jesus is teaching here that we need the principle of of generous giving. Okay, that's important. And by the way, the verse does not say give people whatever they ask you. It says give to the one who asks you. Now there are some requests that we cannot fulfill. There are some requests that we should not fulfill. We should ask questions. We we should use discernment in handling requests for money. But there's no reason in this process that we can't be kind and generous as we do this. As we ask them, well, what is going on? How can we help you? Maybe what they're asking for is not what they really need. But folks, we, we need to be generous and kind and helping But you see, all of this is taken into account and the the Christian responds to evil in a different way than the rest of the world. Instead of responding with revenge and resentment, we respond with love and grace. We take care of those needs. We do what we can. And you might be thinking to yourself today, you might be thinking, well, you know what, Brother Ridge, nobody has ever given me a backhanded slap. Because man, I'd... I'd uncork them if they did. Or maybe nobody's asked me to, or sued me for my clothes. Or maybe nobody's forced me to carry their suitcase for a mile. Maybe nobody's asked for a loan that was really a needy person. But the point is this. These are examples. These are examples of offending situations. You should plug in the particular situation that is offending you and see how you should respond to it. Apply the principle of not only foregoing retaliation, but taking a beautiful action that gives the offender a blessing instead. Folks, this is what the world is waiting for. To see genuine believers who live out what Jesus taught. See, Jesus says this. He says, I know that justice is important to you. I know that it hurts when you've been wronged. But be careful, there's a danger here. Never let your thirst for justice turn into a quest for revenge. Don't get even. You've been attacked. You've been cheated. You've been forced. You've been taken advantage of. But answer the evil with kindness and generosity. And then leave everything else to God. Let him take care of it. 
See, these are pretty simple verses, but they're very enlightening. And I know that they deal with issues of being wrong that we have all faced at some point in life. It's easy to allow bitterness and anger to cloud our hearts and minds so that we fail to do the things that we should do. See, the flesh desires to get even. But the Lord desires that we represent His holiness even when we are wronged. I want to say especially when we're wronged. See, the heart of the matter is to understand what it means to die to self. Let me make this very clear. Let me spell it out for you. And this might help. I'm almost done. When you're neglected or purposely treated like you're nothing, overlooked, and you sting and you hurt with the insult or the oversight, but in your heart you're happy for being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Folks, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, when your advice disregarded, when your opinions are ridiculed, when you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but you take it all in patient and loving silence. That is dying to self. We talk way too much about all the junk that goes on. When you are content in any, any circumstance, when you are content with any food, any offering, any clothing, any climate, any culture, any concern, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after any praise from others, when you truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see your brother prosper, and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit with no envy nor questioning God while your own needs are far greater and your circumstances more desperate that's dying to self when you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and you can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion, no resentment rising up within your heart. That is dying to self. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Are you dead yet? Are you dead yet? See, if we are to know the balance between holding up the law of God within an evil society... Or pouring out a heart filled with forgiveness 
pouring out a heart filled with love, empty of any vengeance, empty of any self. It's going to be when we learn what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I love how Paul put it in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you dead yet? See, I don't think so. It is only through the liberating power of the Holy Spirit that we can, that he enables us to live according to the things that our Lord set forth on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Holy Spirit in us calling us and us responding in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that as we look within, Father, that your Holy Spirit would examine our hearts. Father, with repentant hearts, we come to you and say, Father, forgive us. Because we don't know what we're doing. Father, we've been full of ourselves. We've not died. We've, we've done things for selfish gain. We've held grudges. We've nursed grudges. Just not quite ready to let it go. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reach into our hearts and that you would take out the root of bitterness. Father, that you would take out the, the, the root of anger. Father, the root of selfishness. That, Father, we could live according to the way that Jesus taught. Father, that when someone insults us, we don't have to insult them back. Father, when someone persecutes us, we can pray for them and love them. Father, when someone mistreats us, Father, that we can love them and Father, that we can kill them with kindness. Father, that you would show us how to live the way you desire. That we would live differently than the world. Father, that we would not be like your the children of Israel that complained and grumbled. Father, but we would walk in sweetness, freedom of spirit and love and joy. Father, that you would do that in each of our lives by your power and by your might. But God, we've got to turn ourselves over to you. I, pr I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just bring about a great repentance upon the people of God, the children of God.
that we would repent of making it about us. Father, that we would repent of our complaining, of our anger, of our bitterness, of our revenge, of our, our, our lust for revenge. Father, that we would lose the phrase when push comes to shove. And Father, that we would see that when push comes to shove, it might be another push rather than a shove. And Father, that we would forgive even as you have forgiven us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Guide us as we seek you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.